And we're on? Yep, we're on. Hello, everyone. Hey. Well, in honor of Easter that just happened, we've decided to do... It didn't happen yet. We well, did it. Oh, when it, this comes out, it when will. When this comes out, this will, it will ha- Easter had happened. So in os- in honor, yes. Oh, yeah. Then when this comes out, it comes out on my birthday. Oh, yay. Happy birthday. Yay. Boop, 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 boop. Well, yes. So when this, hopefully, Easter has happened, well, we're trying for that. <laughs> uh, so we were trying to figure, I guess the theme is priests and nuns, Catholics that have on a little awry yeah catholics gone wild that's what catholics gone wild that's that's what we've decided so we have some fun stories for you today and do you want to do the honors of flipping the coin to see who goes first try this again okay okay every time i always forget how to flip a coin i know we still need to do it (laughs) oh god that didn't work oh wait am i gonna be heads again oh yeah we'll just have you be heads are you kidding me? I don't even think that flipped. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think we have a, um, a new quarter. <laughs> Is it double sided heads? <laughs> Is it? Did Heather change it? Hmm. I'm, All right. I've got the magic. Okay. Today I'm going to tell you about the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. It's a really wordy name. It's considered among the less violent local apocalyptic movements in Uganda. They held themselves akin to Noah's Ark, a ship of righteousness in a sea of depravity. I'm going to start with some backstory and a disclaimer that I'm going to pronounce every single one of these names wrong. In 1960, Paolo Kashaku claimed to have a vision of his deceased daughter, Evangelista who told him he would have visions of heaven. In 1988, his prediction came to fruition when he saw Jesus Christ, the Virgin Mary, and St. Joseph. Now, Paulo (laughs) Kashaku had another daughter named Credonia Morinde, who had similar visions and at some point was involved in a virgin cult. Later, Credonia claimed she was also a prostitute at this time and a a brewer of banana beer. So she's going against all the things then, huh? Yeah. I mean, I've never heard of banana beer, though. It sounds delicious. I'd try it. It's thought that her claim of being a prostitute, though, was a conscious attempt to replicate the role of Mary Magdalene and that she wasn't actually a prostitute. She's trying to, like, replicate Mary Magdalene. Yeah. In 1989, her father told her to spread the message across Uganda. 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 Uganda want it? (laughs) On the orders of the Virgin Mary. In the same year, she would meet Joseph Kibwatiri, who was a politician and a locally prominent member of the Catholic-based Democratic Party in the 1970s. They would go on to form the Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God in order to spread the Virgin Mary's message of the Apocalypse. The group would develop a hierarchy of leaders with Credonia at the top. Within the hierarchy, behind the leaders were several defrocked Catholic priests and nuns who worked as theologians and rationalized the messages from the leadership. 
Two of these excommunicated priests were Paul Ikazire and Dom- Dominique Kateribabo. I love these names. Babo. Kateribabo. It's like some banana beer. I'm a fan. The movement came at a time of political and social turmoil in Uganda. People were really pessimistic at this time about the future due to the rule of Ida Amin, the AIDS pandemic, and the Ugandan Bush War. The Roman Catholic Church was backsliding and enveloped in scandals. In this upheaval, there were a lot of breakaway post-Catholic groups during the late 80s because people were tired of the way any authority they looked towards was screwing them over. So charismatic, self-declared messiahs, a.k.a. cult leaders, drew people in because they renounced the authority of the government and the church. Paul Ikazire, one of those excommunicated priests, said, quote, We joined the movement as a protest against the Catholic Church. We had good intentions. The church was backsliding, the priests were covered in scandals, and the AIDS scourge was taking its toll on the faithful. The world seemed poised to end. With Dominique Kateribabo, another excommunicated priest, on board, the movement grew in importance as he was a respected and popular priest who graduated from Loyola... Goodness, it's here and I can't even pronounce it. It's one of those tough ones. (laughs) Loyola Marymount in L.A., by the late 1990s, the church had grown into a thriving community that was set in pineapple and banana plantations. It just feels picturesque. Banana. <laughs> banana. <laughs> That's Heather's one word of the day. She's just going <laughs> to keep saying banana. <laughs> I really like bananas. <laughs> Members sold their property when they joined the movement, of course, and pulled that money together in order to live in live communally members sold their property when they joined the movement of course and pooled that money together in order to live communally they built houses for recruitment indoctrination worship and a primary school all around uganda by 1997 according to a filing with the government the movement's membership was listed at 5,000 people 5,000 people. It's ridiculous. I don't even think I know 5,000 people. I know like 10. <laughs> it's like when you look at your Instagram, like, oh, 30 people like this? I'm like, oh, I, I know that many people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, I'm very popular, clearly. <laughs> All of her friends are bananas. Exactly. I love bananas. We're besties. In 1998, the movement was actually temporarily shut down for unsanitary conditions, use of child labor, and possible kidnapping. But the government allowed the movement to reopen. The goal of the movement was to obey the Ten Commandments and preach the word of Jesus Christ. They taught that to avoid damnation and the apocalypse, one had to strictly follow the commandments. The emphasis on the commandments was so strong that the group discouraged talking in fear of breaking the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. On some days, they would communicate using only sign language. And I'm pretty sure it was their own sign language that they developed. It definitely wasn't ASL, because that's American sign language. (laughs) 
I don't think they knew American Sign Language yeah. in Uganda in the 80s. I don't think so either. No. Can you imagine? They're like, you can't speak, so just you have to now speak with your hands. Yeah, but can't you still, speaking with your hands, I was wondering this, can't you still bear false witness? Yeah, with your hands, you're still... You can do a lot of wrong things with your hands. (laughs) Yeah, you can. (laughs) But that doesn't, using sign language doesn't keep you from... No, it's still a form of communication. You could still communicate falsely. Whatever. It sounded like a great plan for them, maybe. Yeah, seemed like a good plan. Clearly it wasn't. This banana beer just got them too much. They just lost their minds. (laughs) It was all the banana beer. Well... Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if they could drink. Oh. I don't know. Well, the smell of all the banana beer got to them. (laughs) The members would regularly fast, and only one meal was eaten on Fridays and Mondays. Sex was forbidden, as well as soap. What? Right. So stinky. Yeah. Although the group technically split from the Catholic Church, Catholic icons were placed prominently. Movement leaders told the members that the apocalypse would happen on December 31st, 1999, when we all thought it was going to happen. Let's party like it's 1999. I don't think that's how it goes. That's not. Nope. You get the gist. I don't remember how it goes now. I don't either. (laughs) Oh, God. I don't remember. Oh, well. Maybe I'll insert a clip here. Yeah, I think, yep, I think that's, there it is. <laughs> oh, wait, maybe you'll insert a I'll, clip here. I'll insert it. It's Heather's turn to edit. <laughs> so it was taught that the Virgin Mary had a special role in the apocalypse and that she communicated with the movement's leadership. Credonia claimed to receive messages from the Virgin Mary through a hidden telephone system that communicated through everyday objects. When the world didn't end on December 31st, 1999, like we all thought it was going to, the leaders had to alter their prediction. And they claimed the Virgin Mary would come on March 17th, 2000, to bring the faithful to heaven. Wait, isn't that St. Patrick's Day? I was just thinking that, like, they were really choosing the holidays there. Way to be original. <laughs> Movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. Like, what's the next? Okay, we can't do Valentine's Day, so it's like St. Patty's Day. Yeah. It's all the banana beer. Green banana beer. Yeah. Because they probably, yeah, using like the gross bananas. <laughs> Bad bananas. So I've seen different variations that either threw a feast on march 16th or on march 17th doesn't really matter either way they held a feast they killed and roasted three bulls and ordered 70 crates of coca-cola wow i also thought you were gonna say they killed three boys and not three bulls and i was like oh that took a turn <laughs> bulls works a turn <laughs> a turn for the better yeah it, that's a better result i'm I'll take it. Also, I wrote roasted tree bowls. So, you know. What's a tr- tree I don't know bowl? what a tree bowl is, but my fingers thought it was something. <laughs> On March 17th, the day that 
Mary was the Virgin Mary was supposed to come take them all to heaven. There was an explosion and fire at the church, killing all 530 members in attendance, including children. Oh, wow. Just going to rip the Band-Aid off there. It's going to happen. It was initially thought that this was a mass suicide, but the windows and doors had been boarded up and nailed shut. And just days before the fire, Dominic Cateribabo was seen buying 50 liters of sulfuric acid. And another party had been planned for March 18th, but it's believed that was to mislead authorities of their plans. It's thought that the leaders murdered the members because their prophecy didn't come to fruition and the members wanted their possessions back. Apparently, while some members did know about the suicide plan, others did not expect to die. <laughs> Which, I want to know who knew about this other than, right. I guess, the leaders. Was it just Bobo? Some, yeah, just Bobo, I guess. Maybe a few other people. There had to be some other people. Uh, I mean, Virgin Mary obviously knew. Yeah, the Virgin Mary knew. This was all a part of her plan to take them to heaven. Speaking to them through the bananas. Yeah. Four days following the church fire, the police investigated the movement's properties and discovered hundreds of bodies at sites throughout southern Uganda. There were six bodies sealed in the latrine at the Kenungu compound. 153 bodies at a compound in Buhanaj, 155 bodies at Dominique Kateribabo's estate at Rugazi. There were 81 bodies found under a newly poured cement floor in his 10-room house. Another 74 bodies were found in his backyard that had been poisoned, stabbed, and mutilated in no particular order. And another 81 bodies were found at Joseph Nimarinda's farm. Police stated they had been murdered about three weeks prior to the church fire. Just really like spread them all out all over the place. Like yeah. A little sprinkle, sprinkle of death. Well, it's not that these were members that didn't want to go, that were trying to not stay with the movement. Mm-hmm. And wanted their possessions back and weren't going to go along with the whole new date of the Virgin Mary coming for them. That makes sense. Yeah. So they had to, you know, put that fire out. Maybe. That's a lot of members. And they were found in mass graves, essentially. I wonder how that happened. Like maybe they just had smaller parties. Yeah, they're like we're. It's like the preparation for the big party. It was like maybe. the prom committee for fancy dinners. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was determined that other than the members who died in the fire, most of the dead members had been poisoned and had twisted banana fibers around their necks, leading police to believe they were also strangled. Those bananas, they'll get ya. Stories really about the bananas. It's all about the bananas. After searching all of the movement sites, the final death toll came to 924. It was initially assumed that the five leaders died in the fire, but police now believe that Joseph Kibwatiri and Credonia Morinde may still be alive and have issued an international warrant for their arrest. In 2014, it was announced by the Uganda National Police 
that there were reports that Kibwatiri was hiding in Malawi. And that's that. That's all I have on it. It's an unfortunate ending. It is an unfortunate ending, and I wish I had more information about what happened now, but all those people just followed them because they were looking for a new ending or a new beginning and died. They partied till the end. To be fair, they did also believe they were going to die. To die. So, I guess their life. Self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah. So they got what they wanted. I guess. I don't kind know. Kind of. Not really. Not, eh, what they thought? I don't know. All right. Oh. Well, Heather, it's your turn again. All right. Well, all right. today I'm going to discuss a princess and a lesbian nun cult. Because it's a party. We're going to keep the party going. Yeah. Okay. Our story begins with Katharina Von H. I'm not going to say her last name because I can't. But we'll just go with Katharina von H. Katharina was born in 1817 to a royal German dynasty. So she's a, our princess. Ooh. Ooh. And her lineage actually included the Habsburgs. So she was pretty cool. Uh, being a royal, she spent much of her childhood traveling and associating with the circle of liberal Catholics. However, her adult life wasn't as glamorous. She was widowed twice. And soon after the second death of her husband, her health took a turn for the worse, and she decided that she wanted more structure in her life and decided to become a nun. Oh. Just, you know. It's like the German Siddhartha Guantama. Yeah. But that's not how you say his last name, but we're going to go with it. But we're doing great with names today. <laughs> we told you. Just just know. We try. We try. <laughs> So, she was placed in the convent of St. Ambrosia. Ambrosio? Again, I don't like know. Like the salad? Yeah. Yeah. St. Ambrosia. St. Ambrosia? Ambrosio? Ambrosio. That sounds right. Ambrosio. And she was super excited. She thought this was going to be, like, her relaxing place because it was a very, like, secluded convent that, like, no one was really allowed to visit. Ooh, the convict, the convent, convict, the convict the, convent, the convent of the rich and famous, basically. Because yeah, because she was a royal, she was placed in one of the better convents, I guess you could say. However, she soon realized that this convent was anything but ordinary. And 15 months after moving in, she actually sent a note to her cousin, pleading to be rescued and saying her life was on the line. Ooh, so what happens? Let's I get don't know what happened. All right. Well, let's get there. So we're just going to start with the history of the convent. It was started in 1806 by a 32-year-old nun named Sister Maria Agnes Ferrero. She has three names, so therefore we know that she's going to cause some troubles. Cause, Clearly. Because, you know. Also, she started some really awesome, or started a really awesome chocolate uh, oh, yeah. For company. Ferraro. I don't know if she's... <laughs> Just based off of her, maybe. We'll go with that. Uh, so Maria Agnes Ferraro, for, for I again, uh, forgive me. Uh, she claimed to have visions that included letters from heaven, and she was that were said to have the miraculous cures. And rumors spread that she had these cures from heaven, and so people started obviously coming and wanted to meet her. And it also drew people that were skeptical of 
this person envisioning letters coming from the heavens. But she's actually just a little bit of a nutcase. She would engage in self-mortification. So she would take like a heavy stone and she'd put it on her tongue for like six to seven minutes to prevent blasphemy. And that's how you prevent blasphemy. But you put a nice heavy stone on your tongue. I never knew. Now you know. There's the solution. And she also would wear an iron mask that would had 54 nails in it that would like poke her face. Because that's what? Yeah. So she just was like known to just, you know, hang out in this like metal or like nail mask. But so ultimately she was abolished by the Pope and the church thought that she was gone. But in actuality, she was still seen as a saint by the nuns and um, was treated as such. And of course, she obviously left her legacy and left on her traditions. So after she left, a new sister was put in charge, also Maria. But this is Maria Luisa. Uh, This Maria was born in Rome in 1832, and she was said to be, like, she was very beautiful and very charismatic, and like I said, she learned a lot. Uh, She also learned to speak to the heavens, and she claimed to receive frequent vision messages and even letters from the Virgin Mary and Jesus himself. Ooh, fun. I know. And she was, the Virgin Mary said that she was the firstborn daughter of the mother of God. And obviously Virgin Mary wanted to reward her, so she would give her lavish jewelry as her, as her reward. Sounds like the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary, obviously. Like, here, you know, you're doing a great job. Here's a ring. She put a ring on it. <laughs> uh I crack my own myself up. <laughs> uh, and so everything seemed to be going great for Louisa and this until our good old princess Katharina arrived. And when Katharina is there, she witnessed a few untraditional things, we'll say, such as Mary Louisa was actually listening to confessions, which is like a big no-no. Yeah. And she actually, Katharina actually witnessed her do an exorcism on a troubled American. They'd called him the Americano. Of course. It's always the troubled Americans. I know. Dang it. So the Americano. I wonder if this is also where the the drink came from, but the Americano. Oh, yeah. The probably. <laughs> so the good old troubled. So Katharina uh started becoming very suspicious of Mary Louisa. And soon she received a letter, or Mary Louisa received a letter, and she asked Katharina to translate it because it was in German. And Mary Louisa didn't speak it, but Katharina did. And in the letter, it was actually, there was extremely obscene expressions. And basically, the Americana was asking Louisa to engage in sexual acts with him. Ooh la la, getting it. I know, it's getting hot on her. Woo. So, this letter confirmed Katharina's rising suspicions that something fishy was going on with Louisa and the Americano, but it also proved that there was other adult relationships happening between Louisa and the other male confessors that were assigned to the convent. 
Oh. So Louisa was having herself some fun. So Katharina began to ask a lot of questions um, about the of the nuns about Louisa. And of course, Louisa isn't going to be happy about this one. And Katharina started to notice weird colors and weird flavors in her food and her medicine. Hmm. And she started to become very ill. As you do when you eat poison and drink things that do not taste right. Right. So basically, they were poisoning her because they didn't like that she was calling them out on their antics. So Katharina sent this letter to her cousin and her cousin came and um, rescued her. And once she was rescued, she, Katharina wrote a letter to the Pope, basically expressing everything that she saw and her concerns. And the Pope decided to start an investigation, which was actually a little risky for him because there was a lot of higher up officials from the Vatican that were actually involved with this convent. Yeah. So, so it was kind of one of those where do I state? Yeah. Do I do this? (laughs) Do I just brush this under the rug? Which in the end they brushed it under the rug, which I will get to. But so in the investigation, they found a lot of crazy things. So they found that our favorite crazy mask Neil lady was performing miraculous healings by whipping people and using other crazy concoctions to help with and you heal things by whipping them you whip them because you know gets the bat out (laughs) obviously (laughs) obviously (laughs) uh and a lot of the nuns would keep the different things that like she would use to for the healings because they were said to have sacred powers but it gets even worse so um ferrera actually passed on an interesting tradition to luisa in the forms of sexual intimacy with the new nun recruits ah this is where it gets now it gets extra seamy so the night before they called them novices were to profess their their vows they would actually participate in rites that included dancing around in their night shirts and spending the night in bed with the convent leader, often in a fierce embrace. A fierce embrace? Mm. I feel like they're like Roman warriors. I know. It's very like it's very poetic, I feel like. Uh, so Luisa and Ferrara actually said that these embraces served as a purification. And they actually their main targets that they preferred were Older women with more sexual experiences that apparently left them tainted. Oh. And they quoted Elijah and claimed that God gave the founder the gift of being able to impart her virtue, her spirit, her purity. And they did this by laying over the nun and examining her and insisting that their vaginal fluid was a liquor that should be shared with other women. And they would... Use the liquid to make a sign of the cross on them to purify them. That was very pervy. She just made a cross with her two fingers. I did. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we're all thinking it. But yes, that's what so. And they're I feel like you guys embrace. needed the imagery. <laughs> I think very, so too. I think you made it better. <laughs> it was very important to that moment in my brain. <laughs> So, in their fierce embrace, they are using vaginal fluid liquor. 
making a cross. So Wait, where were they making this cross on again? They didn't really say where they did it, but it's probably like on their body. Somewhere. I imagine the Simba. Oh yeah, like Simba. Simba. <laughs> and it's also like Ash Wednesday. Yeah, so it just was a different form of that purification. There we go. Yeah, different. You know, the ultimate feminist movement. Yeah, but so you know they were they were having fun and loving one another in a different way, I guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the investigation, they also found that Louisa had secretly hired someone with beautiful handwriting to write these letters from the Virgin Mary. And they were given to Padre Peters, who was one of the confessors. And basically in the letter, they asked for an erotic blessing to be done with Louisa, which would give her the power to bless her novices. Oh. So basically in these letters, she's saying, have sex with me so then I can bless the new nuns and he complied okay then and um they also found obviously that the beautiful jewelry was not in fact from the virgin mary but purchased with embezzled funds from the convent i was expecting way worse so no it was actually it's not bad so she just was doing like sex drugs and rock and roll but like in a convent in a convent like so she was living her best life I guess. Uh, but it's believed that poisoning was a common tactic, and it's probably expected that a few people were, were in fact, murdered. And with the investigation, the San Ambrosio convent was closed forever. Okay. Mary, Melise, Mary Louisa was placed in a monastic confinement for 20 years and eventually died living in poverty. I just imagine her behind one of those brick walls. Just, like, looking down into, like, the Vatican. like Yeah. Just stuck in there. Like they used to do in medieval times or in vampire TV shows. Yeah. Or, like, I also, like, somewhat picture, like, Aladdin. Like, her, like, trying to steal a piece of, like, roll. Like, (laughs) I don't know. That's what I envision. Just, like, (laughs) And then, of course, the men that were involved just got a slap on the wrist even though they of course of course because why you know um Catherine von h returned to germany and dispensed some of her immense fortune and actually was able to found the famous monastery of baron oh okay so she went out on her own and like she was, was serious about she really wanted to be a nun and like got put in crazy town wow good for her so, like I said, obviously this this investigation was was hard for the Pope because of everyone being involved. Um, and it was kept secret. And it was just put into, like, the Holy Library, the, the Holy Office. And in 1998, John Paul II actually opened the archives. And Hubert Wolf actually just happened to find these this investigation. And so he wrote a book on it. And it's called The... Nuns of St. Ambrosia. And he was the one that just explained everything that happened. And, like, he goes more into, like, the bureaucracy of every all the, all the names. I obviously, like, didn't go into each and every person. Yeah. But he just kind of brought light to the situation that happened in the oh, 1850s. Like 
feel like every episode we've had so far has had a book. I know. It's like a there's there's a lot of books. There's been a lot of books mentioned. Oh, Did the been. first I don't remember if the first one had a book. There was not, but there was the the documentary. Yes, there was a documentary. Crazy documentary. It's crazy. Just keep having books. We're going to have to start a list. Oh, we should start a book club. I think we said that last yeah, time. Yeah, we did. But let's we'll follow we'll through with that one. One day. One day. Yeah. Well, and that, my friends, is the lesbian nun cult of St. Ambrosio. Ooh. That was it? Oh, wow. This was a quick one. Was it quick? I thought mine was going to be long today. I know. I thought so, too. You said it was like five pages. It was five pages, but I guess... That's all right. That's all right. That's all she wrote again. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for hanging out. And until next time. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram or Facebook at bangbangcult or email us at bangbangcult at gmail.com. Also, if whatever, wherever you're listening to us, if you can rate us five stars if you didn't hate us. That'd be cool, that'd too. That'd be fabulous. We uh, love you forever. We would love you forever. And thanks for listening. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.